to ask you a question today. What are you giving up for Lent? Have you ever done that? Do you know what it's all about? You know, look at the person next to you and say, what are you giving up for Lent? Go ahead and tell them that. How many of you said peanut M&Ms? <laughs> you know, this is the time of the year that you ask that question. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. Now, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter in preparation of Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and then of the resurrection with Easter Sunday. And historically in the church, people have given up things that meant something to them in order to discipline themselves to prepare for those two big events in the church calendar. Now, you don't give up something that's not special to you, that doesn't mean anything. A minister friend asked one time, they asked him, what are you giving up for Lent? He said, I'm giving up alcohol and gambling. They said, well, you don't drink and you don't gamble. He said, I know, but it's a whole lot easier this way. <laughs> it's not intended to be something easy. It's not like giving up alligator meat or rattlesnake if you really don't eat it. When I first moved here, I was at the gym one day, and I was working out on the treadmill. Someone from the church introduced me to a man named Earl there. He was from Atlanta, but he lived down here at the time. He asked me, what are you giving up for Lent? And I told him it was probably sweets. I don't really remember that year. But then I asked him what he was giving up for Lent, and you know what he said? Naked skydiving. <laughs> was that really going to be that big of a sacrifice for him? How many times that he had done that in his life? You see, it's not something that's easy, but it's something that's difficult for you to give up, something that's special. Well, maybe you're like the little boy who, when asked what he was doing, she said, would you, the teacher said, would you like a piece of candy? He said, is it sweet? She said, yes. He said, well, I can't have it. She said, why not? He said, I've given up sweets for Lent. She said, that's wonderful. Are you going to save all the money from the candy you would have bought and give that to children who are in need this year? He said, no, ma'am, I'm going to save all that candy and I'm going to put it in a jar. And on Easter Sunday afternoon, I'm going to eat it all by myself. <laughs> now, that's not the function of Lent. We're to give up certain things in order to discipline ourselves through which the Spirit of God might begin to work in us. Now, I'd like to suggest five things to give up for Lent. And here's what you need to realize. When you give up something for Lent, there's a void there. And so you have to fill that up with something else. So I'm not just going to suggest five things to give up, but I'm also going to suggest five things to take up for Lent so that you're going to stop this and start that so that you'll follow along with God during this special season. Now, one of the first things that you have there is to give up conversation for accomplishment. That's number one. We like to talk about things. Jesus said in Matthew, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my heavenly Father who is in heaven. Now, we in the church like to discuss things. Have you noticed that? But talking seldom gets things done. I'd have one, rather have one person take one simple idea and follow it through and accomplish it than sit around and talk about ten great ideas. In fact, in the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, You folks discuss the hungry and the poor and the imprisoned. They talk about it a lot. 
He said, and as much as you have done it to the least of these, when you give people food or clothes or when you visit them, then you have done it to me. He said, do something, accomplish it. Now, I'd like to dare you to give up conversation for accomplishment. One of the things we always do in the church, if we can't decide what to do, is we form a committee and give it to them to talk about it. A committee is often folks who think they can solve a problem by talking it to death. And most committees get very little done. In fact, the best committee in a church is made up of three people, one of whom is sick, the other is out of town, so the third one just goes ahead and does something to try to make it happen. In fact, the best committee in a church is defined, as, it's, the committees are defined as the incapable selected by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. A recent study of executive management says executives in America spend 20 weeks a year in meetings that profit very little. That's why in this church we expect our committees to function properly. We expect every person to be there, and if you can't be there, we expect you to call in and let us know because we just meet so that we can implement what we've talked about. We don't need more meetings and committees. What we need is people who take a task and follow it through and give up conversation for accomplishment. Now, second, we want to give up criticism for affirmation. We all like to be critical. Sometimes we find fault with others. Jesus said, I didn't put you on earth to go around judging people. In fact, he said, be careful how you judge other people because the standard you use for judging them will be the standard he will use for judging us. All studies today show that people respond far quicker to affirmation than they do to criticism. The eminent artist Benjamin West said that when he was a teenager, his parents went out for the afternoon and they put him in charge of looking after his baby sister, Sally. And so he said as a teenager, he decided he found some watercolors. He said, hey, would you sit and pose for me? I'm going to try to paint your picture. And so she did. He said he really didn't know what he was doing. And he said all he did was really make a big mess in the kitchen. When his mother came home, she had one of two choices. She could be critical of him. But Benjamin West said that his mother came in and she came over and hugged his neck and said, Benjamin, that's a picture of your sister Sally and it's beautiful. You might be an artist. And then she kissed him. And Benjamin West said that that kiss from his mother and the affirmation he received from her that he might really truly be an artist led him to become the artist he is today. Let's give up criticism and take up affirmation. If you're going to judge somebody, let me make a suggestion. Whenever you go out to judge, use a mirror and not a microscope. If you use a mirror, then what will happen is you'll see where the real changes need to be made. If you use a microscope, you'll miss the plank in your own eye. And so you won't see what needs to change. Now listen, the story of Jesus is a story of other people criticizing and Jesus affirming. Go back and read it in the New Testament. So the third thing we want to give up is complaining, and we want to take up appreciation. Now, most of us find things to complain about. Look at the person next to you right now. Ask them, do you find things to complain about? 
No, don't list all the things that you think they complain about. Just ask them that question. Sometimes we complain if the weather's not pretty. It was so foggy this morning, the birds were walking out there. <laughs> Sometimes we complain about traffic, don't we? Sometimes we don't get the green light. We're upset. Sometimes somebody says something, and it hurts our feelings. You know, it's easy to complain, but I'd like to suggest today that for every one thing we find to complain about, there's 50 things for which we can be grateful. Some people just go through life standing at the complaint counter. I dare you to give up complaining and take up appreciation. In Lamentations, it says this, Why should any living mortal have anything to complain about? I'm healthy. I'm part of a great church like Woodlawn. God let me live in America. I've got friends, a sound mind. Why do I complain so much? Now, before you complain during the Lenten season, I want to ask you to sit down and write down all the things for which you have to be thankful most of us need to move off Grumble Street and take up permanent residence on Thanksgiving Avenue. You know, there was a bishop years ago, Bishop Don Trippett. This bishop was beaten up by crooks who were robbing the YMCA. He was beaten so badly that he lost one of his eyes. He said, don't put him in jail, these young people. He said, let me try to help them. Bishop Don Trippett took those young men under his wing. And one of them, he paid for that young man to go to medical school. You know what he does today? He's an eye doctor. And he helps people with their eyes. See, Bishop Trippett had a choice. How many of us would make the same choice if we were in his shoes? Now, fourth, we need to give up conformity for alteration. Paul said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold but rather you mold the world into the kind of place God wants it to be. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now hear me carefully. One of the big problems we have in the world today is peer pressure. Too many times we look around to see what everybody else thinks before we make a decision. You see, when we've got to determine right and wrong, we don't need to take a survey. We just need to make up our own mind. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. We don't have to conform to this world. We can be transformed, and we can make a difference in the world. Now, here's what happened. They took a study of young people. They took them into a room, 10 at a time. They had a screen, and they had three lines that were different lengths. They said, now, when we point to the one that is the longest length, then I want you to raise your hand. But here's what happened. Nine of the students knew that when the teacher pointed to the middle line that was not the longest, it was the middle one, that they were supposed to raise their hand. One of the students wasn't in on the secret. And so when the teacher pointed to the one that was not the longest and said, is this the longest line, nine hands went up. And then that one person sat there looking around, and they didn't want to be by themselves, even though it was not the longest line, and slowly they raised their hand. Now, they said they did that over and over again. 90% of the time, the student would just go along with everybody else. But 10% of the time, the student would say, hey, y'all are crazy. That's not right. This is the longest line. Now, I wonder what would be the percentage in here if we were to do that. 
How many of us would really stand up for what we believe? You see, it's important all the time to do that. And during Lent, I dare you not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then fifth, we need to give up caution for action. It says in Luke 18, 23, that a young man came to Jesus and he was asking, he said, hey, what will it take for me to follow you? And Jesus told him what it would take. And he sat down very coolly and calmly and he calculated the cost. And then after he thought about it for a while, he decided, you know, it's too great a cost. I can't follow you. You know, anytime you and I sit down coolly and calmly and calculate, we might say that's too great. When Jesus called a man to follow him one day, he said, let me go bury my daddy and then I'll come and follow you. And he said, if you're going to be cautious and take care of everything else, you can never follow me. Hear me carefully. Jesus said, follow me. And when he invites you and me to follow him, he wants us to be obedient and he'll take care of everything that's necessary for us to do that. If we're just too cool and calm, calm, calculating and calm, We'll never do what he's calling us to do. When God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to get up from the land that you know where all your family and friends are, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to go somewhere that you've never been before, and I'm not even going to tell you where that is, and I want you to lead my people to the promised land. Well, can you imagine what that would have been like for him? Later, Moses would take them to the promised land, and Joshua would get them in, but Abraham was to go out and start leading the people then. You know, he acted. He didn't think about it. God's leading some of us to do some things and not just play it safe, but act. A man was talking to a farmer one day. He said, did you plant cotton this year? And the farmer said, no, I was afraid of the boll weevil. He said, well, did you plant corn this year? And he said, no, I was afraid of rain. He said, well, did you plant potatoes this year? He said, no, I was afraid of bugs. In fact, he said, this year I just decided to play it safe and I didn't plant nothing. Farmers who play it safe will starve to death. Play it safe and you'll never be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen, even a turtle gets nowhere until he sticks his neck out. Lent is about a God who was willing to throw caution to the wind and go climb on a cross and die with no guarantee that you and I would even say thank you, much less take advantage of the eternal life that he offers us because of that. You know, he acted instead of being cautious. Jesus didn't say, if you want to follow me, then stand in the boat. He said, step out and walk on the water. And if you never step out, you'll never walk to follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it a leap of faith. It's a willingness to give up our security and put all of our trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let me ask you, what are you giving up for Lent? If you give up something, you'll have to replace it. Now, let me tell you what happened to me this week. Yesterday, I got an email from a snowbird who comes here every year. He's a retired coach named Joe Zomberly. He's from Michigan. He sent me this email, and he said they left yesterday. They he had played a full round of golf. They left in the afternoon. They got up to Coleman, Alabama. He was carrying in luggage and briefcases when his phone started ringing. He said it was a friend of his who's a coach in Michigan. He was looking for a sub, but he wasn't looking for just anybody. 
He was looking for somebody for next September because he was going to go to the Holy Land and he needed someone to coach his classes in PE, but he also needed somebody who taught physiology and astrology, astronomy. And so he, he invited him to do it. Now, not everybody has that combination and can do both of those things. And so he said, immediately when he asked me, I'm retired. I didn't really want to go back to coaching or teaching. I didn't even want to be a sub. But he said, I remembered something you said last Sunday in church. And here's what I said. And he quoted me. He said, somebody might ask you to do something this week, and it will be an answer to their prayer. When they ask you, say yes. And so he decided he better say yes. And so he told the coach, yes, I'll do it. But then he told him why. He said, there's a preacher down there in Florida. I'm not too sure about him, but this is what he said <laughs> last Sunday, that I should say yes because it might be an answer to prayer. He said that that coach on the other end of the line said he had chill bumps down his back and tears in his eyes because that coach was listening to a preacher and following him. How many of you do that? You listen to what I say, you remember it, and then you actually do it. I'm so thankful to know somebody besides my mother and my wife and a coach from Michigan does that sometimes. Thank God for that. Because occasionally God might speak to you through this message, okay? Here are some things that most of us are involved in. Many of us need to give up some of this stuff for Lent, and then we need to take up something new in its place. Let us pray. Lord, we like to talk, but we need to act. We criticize when we need to affirm. We complain when we need to appreciate. We conform to the need to, and when we need to alter. And Lord, we're cautious when we need to act. Lord, convict us of the things we need to give up and help us take up good things in their place. I pray in your son's name. Amen.